Hello and welcome to the Investing on the Go podcast brought to you by Fund Calibre. I'm Ryan Lightfoot-Brown and we're joined today by James Sim, the Elite Rated Manager of the Schroeder European Alpha Income Fund. James, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Um, now, Europe's a pretty big continent. How do you go about finding just a handful of ideas for your portfolio? So the way I would say we go about finding the ideas and sort of stripping down that um, kind of big universe is, is it's a very bottom-up approach. So you'll, about once a month, you'll find either myself or my colleague, James Rutland, on a plane or on the Eurostar, going to some kind of European centre of finance and maybe spending two or three days with the management teams, ideally walking around the facility, walking around the factory, and just really trying to uncover those stones. Europe's a huge continent, and I think it gets a bit lost in the headlines sometimes, you know, particularly in these days around the politics and Brexit and so forth. But actually, out there, it's the world's biggest economy, and there's some obviously amazing companies doing great things. And the nice thing about Europe as well, compared to perhaps some other markets, is there's a lot of relatively undiscovered companies. So if we're prepared to make the effort, go and visit these guys, you know, if you look down the portfolio, we're able to pick up some of these, what I think are excellent businesses at relatively cheap multiples. Most investors will have a UK equity income fund in their portfolio, but European income funds have been less popular. Why should UK investors consider adding more to Europe? Well, Europe for income is a very interesting kind of uh, proposition, really. Um, the UK has this lovely culture of quarterly dividend payments and uh, you know shareholder remuneration. And I guess we're sort of developing that, let's say, in Europe. Of course, there's the usual suspects who behave in a very sort of Anglo-Saxon way when it comes to shareholder remuneration. But one of the sort of key aspects of European capitalism, if you like, is it's, it's much more of a stakeholder-based capitalism. And so shareholders are important, but you have to know how important you are. You might come behind the government. You might come behind the employees of the company in Europe. Um, so that's fine. We just have to be aware of that. It's a very broad church, European income. So there's all sorts of different companies paying a high dividend yield. We don't sort of have that same concentration that you do in the UK, where you have sort of, I think it's five stocks accounting for about 40% of the dividend. And so, for example, when Vodafone, which has recently cut its dividend, that is going to affect the income available to any UK equity investor. It's much more diversified in, in Europe. So we have high dividend yield stocks in the usual sectors, like some of the better quality banks, insurance, uh, oil and gas. But we also have media companies. Perhaps there's a founder CEO still involved, I think Berlusconi in Italy. Mm-hmm. He sort of relies on that dividend from Mediaset and Media Launum for to fund his lifestyle, let's say. And so we can kind of piggyback on the back of that if we wanted to. We don't own any Mediaset or Media Launum, but those kind of ideas are, are where the income can come from. So it's it's quite an interesting proposition, actually, European income. And you have a degree in natural science, uh, mineral physics, to be precise. Does this give you any particular insight or competitive edge when it comes to researching certain sectors or industries? Or do you find yourself having a natural bias towards uh, companies because of your background? I think there's some fantastic investors in European equities in all different markets, all with very different backgrounds. You know, some without university degrees, some with scientific degrees, some with um, arts degrees, you know, all sorts of different backgrounds. So I don't think the fact I've done physics is particularly an advantage, but what it does, the way I'm trained is to sort of think scientifically. And what that means really to me is you create a hypothesis 
And the hypothesis in investing terms is what is going to move that share price. It might be something about the supply-demand dynamics of the industry. It might be this company's management team are going to affect this change. It might be that the margin can... Whatever it might be. And so we have really try and have a sort of laser-like focus, if you like, on what is going to move share prices. And then we'll go away and we'll research that point. So we're not necessarily trying to find out everything about the business. We're not asking questions to fill out big Excel spreadsheets uh, and build models. We're really trying to hone in on what's going to drive the share price, whether it's a top-down uh, view, an industry view, or kind of a stock-specific company view. And I would say that's the biggest advantage, but that's the thing I take most from my kind of trading, my background. And then very occasionally, you're lucky to meet a company that does have a kind of technical product that you can kind of dig into. But, you know, it's as much for fun, actually, as, as really trying to determine where the share price is going. And what other uh, country or sector excites you the most at the moment? We don't tend to look at countries uh, per se. I mean, the, the only time I've really found an explicit investment opportunity around a country was Spain actually in 2012 2013 where I'd do one of my trips I'd go to Madrid I'd meet you know maybe 10 management teams over the course of a couple of days uh, and you just came away thinking well the perception is wildly different from the reality on the ground so we were able there to buy two or three domestic Spanish stocks um, very cheaply I mean one of the companies we bought was a company called Grupo Catalano Occidente the Catalan Insurance Group uh, and uh, GCO is a 150 years old 160 year old family run business very conservatively run and in 2012 it was trading at less than the excess capital you know it's almost like a Ben Graham kind of stock from the 1930s trading at less than the cash on the balance sheet so we were able to buy that company and in theory the company could have given us all that money back that we paid for the shares and we'd still have owned this amazing business but those are rare. Those are very rare. So uh, Spain's the only one of that. At the moment, I'd say probably the sector that I find most interesting, and I'm a natural contrarian, so we often end up in very unloved parts of the market and try and pick good companies within that. And the sector that I find most interesting today is oil and gas on that basis. Um, we're about three years into the downturn for that industry. So although we've had a slowdown in the wider economy more recently, oil and gas, the oil price went down by 70% in 2016, beginning of 2016. And the result of that is that a lot of these large oil companies haven't been investing. They haven't been drilling new wells. They haven't been shooting seismic. Uh, they haven't been um, exploring in the general sense. And I think that's going to start to come back. So, in a way, my hypothesis there is that you're going to see a pickup in demand from the large oil companies for oil because they've spent three years not exploring, but they have been producing, so they've been depleting their resources. So there's a requirement for them to uh, spend a bit more on building their portfolios. And in the same time, a lot of the companies that supply into that market have gone bust, which sounds like an odd thing to say as an equity investor. You want to invest in an area where companies have gone bust. But what it does mean is that those that are left are in a very strong position and because capacity has come out there's quite a decent chance that those uh, rates can can pick up so that's all very interesting but the key point 
is that the perception is that this industry is dead. Uh, if I look at the way share prices are trading, if I look at valuations based on recovery um, scenarios, you know, we're well into double-digit free cash flow yields, uh, 25, 30, 40 percent in some cases, if there's a recovery. So in a sort of, in a way, my payoff, my risk reward is fantastic because I could make whatever, three, four times my initial investment. Um, and even at current levels, for some of these companies, we don't think there's a huge amount of downside. It's, it's unfashionable, it's unloved, uh, but that's an area of the market we think we can make some decent money for clients over the next three to five years, which is, tends to be our time frame. And I don't think we could see a European manager without asking about Brexit. So do you think any of the companies that you own or you've met have been affected by Brexit uncertainty in any way? I would say at the margin, uh, and no more than that. I mean, some a lot of companies totally unaffected. It's very interesting because, you know, I obviously meet a lot of management teams um, and it just doesn't come up as a conversation. Uh, of course, once there is clarity, companies may need to adjust their supply chains. On Brexit, you know, my sort of broad point, and this is not a political point, but my broad sort of investment point is we have four of the world's top 20 universities. You know, we will see some economic growth over the medium term. We've got a great rule of law um, and companies will want to sell into us. So in terms of the companies that I own and affecting their kind of end demand, yes, of course, it's unhelpful. And the uncertainty in particular is unhelpful. Um, but the long term prospects are, are fairly unchanged for most of those businesses and if they're not selling to the UK because it goes badly then they'll be selling elsewhere in the world so Brexit really is not an issue for my portfolio um, the sort of I guess from a client's perspective the key point about Brexit is the currency so if it was to go badly obviously owning companies based or denominated in euros would be a good thing and owning income based in euros, so hard currency, uh, would, would, would benefit them. But in terms of the specifics for the companies that I invest in, it, for the vast majority of companies, it's not really an issue. And uh, Italy recently went uh, into a session quite briefly. Germany's flirted with one in the last year or so. What's your outlook for Europe as a whole? And um, would you position your fund to make it as recession proof as possible? Well, we, we, we use a top-down framework that we call the business cycle. So that basically allows us to identify where we think we are in the cycle. We sometimes get it right and we sometimes get it wrong. And then we would move the portfolio, we'd skew the portfolio uh, on the back of that. Um, we don't always do that. So there's times when we say, well, we don't think there's a big business cycle call to make. and It's much more about the bottom-up. And there's times where we do think it's very important. I mentioned Spain in 2012. That's a good example. So my base case view is not that we're going into a recession. Now, the market has, after the previous 12 months, has very aggressively sold off anything with cyclicality. And we've suffered from that because we've owned some of those sort of stocks. I think I can build you a pretty sensible portfolio today with some good companies in a number of different sectors that are very attractively valued, like I'm talking 10% free cash flow yields and obviously in the oil and gas sector I mentioned mm. above that. But the, we are taking on some cyclical risk to do that. 
Now, my base case isn't that we're going into a recession for, the num- for a number of reasons, but the, the main two would be that governments are spending a bit more and the consumer's in a better place than he has been in Europe. And those are the two main drivers for demand in Europe. Trade wars, China accepted. You know, that's obviously important from a confidence perspective. But in terms of the two big drivers of demand, the consumer is starting to get wage rises for the first time in a decade and tax cuts. You know, populism's a double-edged sword, but that's one of the benefits. And the other, I guess, a benefit from a demand perspective is that it kind of encourages governments to spend a bit more. And governments in Europe are 40, 50 percent of many European countries' economies. So it's not my base case. But of course, if you did want to generate a recession-proof portfolio, I'd encourage people to look for a sort of defensiveness, yes, but probably a defensive flavour of value. So that would be telcos, it would be pharma, it wouldn't be much in consumer staples. I mean, I think that will work, would work at the end of the cycle, but not as well as it has done previously, because they are very highly valued. And what I definitely don't think would work would be growth, because they would suffer both from an earnings perspective, but also a big derating. And that's kind of the precedent from, not from 08, but certainly from sort of uh, 2000, was that it really hurt being in growth stocks um, coming into the end of the cycle there. So that's, my base case is really for a reacceleration actually as mentioned and and that's obviously how we've positioned the portfolio and that means being overweight some of the financial sectors oil and gas uh consumer cyclicals we like for the reasons i mentioned around wage inflation and um, how well positioned the european consumer is and that's a big contrarian call particularly the consumer comment because that's the area of the market that's done the worst and is probably one of the cheapest Brilliant, James. Well, that's, uh, that's been really interesting. Thank you very much for joining us. And thank you very much for listening. I've been Ryan Lightfoot-Brown. And if you'd like to listen to more of our Investing on the Go podcast, please subscribe to Fund Calibre. Mm-hmm.